coming on the podcast. This is a special podcast for me because I, this is my 100th episode, and I reached out to you a very long time ago, and my podcast listeners know this, mm. when I was in a very low place. Yeah. I found you because you were speaking to some church in Troy. What yep. church was that? Uh, Faith Lutheran Church. And I really connected with your message because you were talking about how lonely and sad men can be. Yeah. And everything you described that men do to be sad and lonely, I was doing. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And people have iffy views on therapy, and everything you told me worked. Hmm. And I have a lot of dentists on my podcast that feel sad and lonely. Yeah. So over the next hour, I want to create a blueprint for my listeners yeah. and kind of work through what me and you worked through yeah. to do that. So what got you into therapy? Because I know it wasn't your first career. Do you feel stuck on the financial hamster wheel? You keep paying on your debts like mortgages, car notes, student and business loans, but they never seem to disappear. My name is Dr. Howard Polanski, former dentist, now founder of Cashflow Coach USA. I guide families and business owners through a simple system to dramatically reduce your payment towards debt. You keep your same lifestyle and keep more money each month. A recent client will pay off their house in just seven months instead of the anticipated 20 years. Free 10-minute discovery call will determine if I can help you too. Go to CashflowCoachUSA.com, scan the QR code, or call 512-608-1020 to find financial freedom faster. Are you tired of using ineffective cosmetics and personal care products filled with harmful chemicals? Meet Ancestral Cosmetics and our range of highly effective products rooted in ancestral wisdom and made with edible ingredients such as beef tallow, olive oil, and raw local honey. Check out our best-selling tallow and honey balm for soft and smooth skin or our revolutionary tooth powder made from eggshells for effective teeth cleaning and whitening without any toxic ingredients. Free U.S. shipping for orders over $50, and you can shop now at AncestralCosmetics.com. Yeah, no, um, the short version is that uh, I was laid off from a job in my mid-40s and took that opportunity. Well, when I was laid off, I walked out of the building and had that experience that, you know, the sky was bluer and the air was greener or the grass was greener and the air smelled sweeter. And I'm like, yeah, well, I can't go back to doing that anymore. So I took the opportunity to kind of figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And that path led me to counseling. It's actually funny. I met with a a career coach. And one of the first questions he asked me was, you know, would you consider going back to school? Because at that point, going back a little farther, I had gone to college 1.0. I call it for mechanical engineering. And spent enough time interning that I realized, man, I don't want to be an engineer when I grow up. This is kind of boring. So I pieced out and started a career and worked in project management and estimating and things like that. And had a good run. So when I was laid off and he asked me if I wanted to go back to school, I'm like, no, I'm good. I mean, I was never one of those people who didn't finish college and was like, golly, I wish I'd go finish college. Like, it didn't bother me. You know, my wife had graduated from college years ago. All my friends had, but it didn't bother me. So the the irony, the 
And I like to say it's an example of God's sense of humor is that not only did I have to go back and finish an undergrad, but I had to get a master's to do what I'm doing now. And I've loved every step of the way. And I've, there's been so many things that have pointed to, yeah, this was the right decision. Aside from the fact of, you know, doing it now for going on my fifth year and just loving every minute of it. I love working with people. I love helping people with that kind of that internal battle. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that you and I talked about. Yeah. Right? It's that it's that battle between the, you know, I like to call it the bully that lives in your head that does nothing but talk shit about you and tell you how horrible you are. The battle between that and what the reality is of your life. And I think a lot of us can get stuck in that. It's so easy to listen to that voice. You know, for a lot of us men even easier because we tend to isolate which is man it's really unhealthy for us you know but that's what we do we draw back and that puts us can put us in a dark place i mean that's your experience of it speaks you know speaks volumes to that right yeah i was as isolated as you could be which is sad because you're surrounded by a bunch of people but you're right. still isolated. Right. Would you say most of your clients, they come to you and most of them are isolated? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's it's natural when you start to, when you start to slip and you start to go into that hole, whether it's, you know, anxiety or depression, things like that. You know, what they do is they pull you back. I mean, it's, it's you know, a way that we therapists look at diagnosing you know is there a loss of joy in life is there a loss of joy in things that you used to enjoy and part of that is because we pull back and we pull back because we think man we we're the only ones who feel this way you know so we get shame built up on top of it i mean that was a big thing for you is your shame absolutely and when we have shame we don't want to talk about it because the shame just compounds itself, right? So we pull back and draw back and pull back and draw back from the people that are closest to us. You know, and that's, it's no good. I know the first piece of advice you gave me, and I almost ended our relationship, was you have to tell your wife that you're talking to me. And yeah. I was like, I'm going to find someone else. <laughs> <laughs> but you're totally right because how many men go through this and their wives don't know, but yeah. they're, they're snapping at their wives yeah. or they're yelling at their kids. And I think telling my wife that I felt such shame and regret for losing close to a quarter million dollars, mm-hmm. I think that was my first step. Yeah, because we have this thing built up in our head, right, as, as guys. And it's certainly a stereotype, and not all men are like this, but... You know, society kind of tells us we have to be big and strong and we have to be the provider and we have to be the protector and we have to be all those things. And we think to do that, that means we have to, if we're having an issue, we can't share it because that shows weakness. That shows a chink in our armor, right? But man, that's not true, especially in a relationship, especially with your wife. I mean, she's your teammate. She's she's all in, man. She's that's that's the way it works and when we keep that from her it's it it, it's damaging right because you know 
our wives know us, you know, and if something isn't right, they know it. And if we don't speak to it, man, you know, that, that gets into their head. And now they start to wonder, well, what's wrong? I wonder what's wrong. Maybe it's something I've done. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe it's because, you know, I've had three kids and I've put on a little weight or, or maybe he's met somebody else or maybe, you know, you, they can go down that rabbit hole. And that's, that's painful. And at the same time, we're going down that rabbit hole because we have this pain, we have this shame, we have this regret for something that may have happened that's making us spiral. And it just draws us back. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, because I work with individuals and I work with couples, and, man, I think 90% of it is communication. I think communication is so important because communication connects us, right? I mean, I firmly believe that we human beings are hardwired for connection. You know, I'm a person of, of faith, so I can look at things, you know, in my faith, I can look for thing, look at things in my Bible. I can, you know, I like to point to, you know, Jesus when he started his work. One of the first things he did is gathered these twelve men, and these twelve men were kind of knuckleheads, right? <laughs> I mean, they weren't the top CEOs of the world. You know, they were kind of the bottom of the barrel, and he did it not because he needed their help, but because he needed that connection. But if I set that aside, set aside my faith, and let's say we're going to go full-on you know, evolutionary principle. Well, if you were a caveman living 100,000 years ago, you couldn't be a loner. People had to hunt and gather and get water and have kids and protect children and protect the clan at night. If you were by yourself, then you were just dinner for a saber-toothed, saber-toothed tiger. So... I can look at it from both sides, and and they both point to the fact that we need connection. Communication creates connection. That's why when when things go bad, the evil part of some of this mental stuff is it draws us away from people. And that just makes the spiral go faster. Are you finding that most of your clients have stopped communicating, or they really never knew in the beginning how to communicate? Because it is... If I could describe how I felt in one word, it would be <clears throat> worthless. Like, mm-hmm. And it's so funny. You said our wives know us. Because during that point, I was like, oh, she has no idea. Like, I'm totally playing this cool. And then I told her, and she's like, it makes sense. Yeah. You've been a piece of shit for the past year. Yeah. But I wasn't being a piece of shit. I wasn't trying to be. I was just such in a hole. Yeah. We're not, we're not doing it on purpose. We're not doing it to hurt them. In fact, we think we're doing it to protect them. Oh, my God. It's like you're my therapist. <laughs> It's funny you say that. So these men that your clients, how are you teaching them to communicate to their wives in a way that their wives feel connected to them? Well, sometimes to be honest, it's starting out with communication one on one. You know, because with guys, again, it's kind of a societal thing that we're told from the time that we're, you know, knee high that you're not supposed to have feelings. You just don't have them. If you do have a feeling, you sure as hell don't say it out loud to someone, right? You bottle it up and you work it away or you sex it away or you drug it away or you drink it away, right? We don't deal with our feelings. So a lot of times with men, it's, what's a feeling? Yeah. (laughs) What's a feeling outside of, of happiness 
or sadness or anger. I mean, we guys, we love anger. We like to say, oh, we're always angry. Anger is not really a primary emotion, though, right? Like, anger comes from somewhere. You know, we can feel angry if we're hurt. We can feel angry if we're scared. We can feel angry if we're lonely. We can feel angry if we're frustrated. But we don't have those other words. So a lot of times, honestly, with men, it's like, let's learn what our our emotion words are. Because now, we, once we have those, now we can start to communicate. And we can start to share. And, you know, even now, it frustrates me to see, you know, the the dialogue out there in society about, you know, men and we got to be, we're, you know, these men are soft or snowflakes. My fair word, snowflakes. That's my generation. <laughs> right? Like we're, They're all snowflakes. No, that's bullshit. Because being in touch with your feelings makes you a better friend, a better husband, a better father. I mean, we've got to stop this cycle of, of raising up young men to be emotionless assholes. Because that's what we, you know, we've done that for a while now. We've proved that it's not working. We need to reverse that. You know, but that all plays into, you know, I remember talking to you about this, and, and I'm not much of a statistics guy, but this one kind of breaks my heart that when we look at suicide statistics every year, um, one of the, or the largest demographic, usually one of the fastest growing, is old white dudes, 45 to 60. You know, and that demographic is committing suicide at an alarming rate. <clears throat> now, of course, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of theories behind it. People talk about this all the time. I I tend to believe it's it's the the loneliness, right? Because we have this thing built up in our head that we have to go out and we have to provide, we have to work, you know, and give our family a better life than we have, right? And that's what we strive for. And that drives us to work in 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And, you know, you get to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you've been doing this for 20 plus years. And now's the time where you're supposed to be looking forward to, all right, what's next, you know? The golden years, we like to call it, right? And for a lot of men, I feel like it's, you know, they're, they're starting to look forward or look toward that. And they're, you know, taking it, an, an inventory of their lives and they're looking around. And they probably don't have a pretty good relationship with their kids. Probably don't have a pretty good relationship with their wife. All their close friends from high school and college, they've long since lost contact with. They've got some surface-level friends at work, you know, that they go to lunch with occasionally. And they're looking forward to their golden years, and they're looking forward to retirement full of loneliness. And they're chewing on the end of a gun because of it. Again, there's lots of factors, but, man, I think that plays a big part in it, you know. Because we are social creatures, it's something that we have to focus on. Because life gets busy, right? It's easy to lose friendships. And we look at it as grown-ups and we think it's hard to make friendships. But 
man, it should be it should be something that we're constantly working on. That's like the biggest scam for me. Humanity. I mean, you know, you're maybe in your 40s or 50s. You work 20, 30 years, put your kids through college. You finally did it. And then everyone hates you because you thought you were doing <laughs> right. the right thing. Yeah. I mean, we talked. One of my thoughts was I need to die with 20 million in the bank because then my kids will love me. What like a twisted, stupid thought. Your kids will actually love you and your wife will love you if you spend time with them. Yeah. And what did I say back to you when you said that? You remember? No, I what did I say back to you when you said that? Oh, because would, I, remember, I remember very specifically you talking about. They would that. give it all back. They would give it all back. Yeah, and then I said I repeated that over and over, and they would. And last week or last month, me and my family went to Lexington for the day. Yeah, all it cost us was like the gas mm-hmm. and shitty hamburgers at a breath. <laughs> and it was we, me and my wife were almost in tears. We had so much fun. Yeah, you don't need twenty million dollars to do that. <laughs> no, so. It's so important what you're saying now, especially for my audience, because I have a lot of young dentists and most of my audience is men. Mm-hmm. And they're all trying to work 60, 70 hours a week, right. make that money, but they don't have time for their kids. Right. So I know how I broke that mold. How do you break that mold? How do you switch from thinking I have to provide and protect to I do need to provide and protect, but actually loving them should be in there as well. Yeah. I mean, first, you know, the first step with any change for us human beings is to realize that there needs to be a change, right? You know, it's the old saying that, you know, you can't get better until you realize that there's a deficit and that you actually want to get better. I mean, I can't help someone who's depressed if they don't want help, if they don't want to change, if they don't want to do the work. Right. So the first step is always, you know, realizing that there is a better way and that there is something they can do. You know, that's the most important step. Outside of that, it's just baby steps. You know, how did you do it? How did you start to make that change? I think what I did was I just started spending more time with my kids and my wife. And at the same time, did not have $20 million in the bank and saw how much joy it brought. And then one of the things we talked about, I know you're a fan of Dave Ramsey, is that if you can actually plan out financially what you need each month, mm-hmm. there's less stress. Yeah. Because I personally don't need $20 million to live. Right. I know my finances. So if me and my wife can work to a point where we cover all our needs... The rest of the time, we should be having fun. Right. So I think to answer that question, we planned our finances, the cold numbers, what do we actually need? And then in your free time, don't work more. Have fun with your family. Right. You know, and it's, I think it's things like evaluating. You know, I remember you telling me that, you know, through all this and you open up your new practice and then you caught yourself at one point thinking about, ooh, this is going pretty well. I should start thinking about expanding. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right, because that chase is so hardwired into us. Like you were at a, you were at a good spot, you know. Things had had turned the corner. You were in a way better spot mentally, and that your brain said, "All right, cool, let's go get more." For what? What are we chasing it for? You know, I say this all the time, and I know I've said this to you, but 
I mean, I don't think ever in the history of mankind has anyone ever on their deathbed said, I wish I had worked more. It just doesn't happen, man. You know, and 10 years, 20 years from now, no one's ever going to remember that you worked 80 hours. No one's going to remember it. Not people you work with, not the people you work for, not yourself. The only one who might remember it is your kids mm-hmm. because you weren't there. You weren't at a game. You weren't at a dance recital. You didn't tuck them in bed. You know, and it's not just, remember that 80 hours a week isn't time necessarily spent in the office. It's time spent at work in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Even when you're in front of your kids. And you would do that a lot. Oh, right? yeah. You would, you'd get stuck in it and you'd sit there. Well, I'm home. I'm home. I mean, usually, I think you still do, but you schedule it so you have family time on Fridays, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you would catch yourself, even when I'm home and I'm supposed to be home, not being there. Your head was here. Your head was with your money. Your head was with all the other things that were going on that you were stressed out about. So you were there, but you weren't even there. And kids know that. I mean, kids can smell it on you. Oh, yeah. They know that you're not connected. So part of breaking out of that is, you know, focusing on making sure, you know, your head's where your boots are at, right? I want to be here. I want to be in the moment. And what's really cool is kids, especially young kids, are so good at that. I mean, we adults, you know, there's, some simplistic ways of looking at things like, you know, depression is comes from the past, right? It's all focused on the past. Anxiety is all focused on the future. What what's gonna happen? What can I how do I control what might not happen? And really the more you stay in the present, the harder it is for that stuff to get with you. And kids are amazing at that, right? I mean, think about a two year old. What's a two-year-old see when they see a dandelion? They see a beautiful flower. And we, you know, those of us that are homeowners and that like a nice lawn, see it as a freaking weed, Mm -hmm. and we got to destroy it. But nothing changes that like having your little two-year-old bring you a handful of dandelions and look at it, bright flowers. Can you you put them in water? Kids have that innate, innate ability to stay in the present. We have to focus on doing that because as adults, we're always worried about the past or worried about the future. You know, we can, we can harness that power from our kids. That's another great way to stay connected, to stay where you're going to keep your head where your boots are at. Absolutely. Staying in the present. It's funny. My five-year-old the other day, it was Tuesday or Wednesday and she goes, dad, do I have school tomorrow? And me and my wife laugh. It's like, she's so in the moment. She didn't even know what's going on yeah. the next day. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wish I lived that way. Oh well, I mean, it, <laughs> I remember seeing. I don't remember where I saw this, but you know, for kids and you know, the plan is supposed to be for when you retire. Every day is Saturday, right? And if we can have that mentality, because as adults, we know oh, Saturday is a good day. Saturday is the day to relax and do things. And for a kid, every day is Saturday. And when we're older when we're retired every day is supposed to be saturday but man in that middle (laughs) we get that all screwed up oh yeah because you work 20 to 60 Mm -hmm. and then you only are happy because you're not 
too happy on Sunday because like three o'clock rolls around yeah. and you're you already worried. thinking about going back to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a, we have a good friend that, you know, we were out to eat with him one uh, Sunday and she was like starting to become visibly upset. And we asked her, what's going on? And she had been in this, this cycle lately with her job that she was so miserable that starting around four or five in the afternoon on Sundays, she her stomach would start to hurt. And she started to get stressed out, and you know, my wife and I kind of didn't, you know, intervention with her. Like, what are you doing? This is this is not. I mean, this isn't good. This isn't healthy. That you are so stressed about the place you're going, you know. And she was looking. She was at that point in her career where she was close to retirement, but she was so stressed about going to work the next day that it was driving her up the wall. So we, you know, spent some time and talked talked to her about it, like making a change. I, you know, talked about my experience of of changing careers, and and for this woman, it wasn't even changing careers; it was just changing companies. The place she was at was so toxic. She ended up finding a new place to work loves it that whole i'm gonna retire in two years went out the window because she loves what she does so much i mean her husband's kind of jokingly angry at us because his wife's still (laughs) working but she's working part-time but she's loving it you know so we can we can find that but man when we sit in that misery for so long i mean you think about how if we work just on average 40 hours a week. It's a big percentage of our time. And a big percentage of our time doing something that we hate is like, you know, death from a thousand paper cuts. Right? So, you know, we can look at it and be so afraid of change. Well, that's that's all I can do. It's all I know. I've been doing this for 20 years. Or this is what I went to school for. I have to do this. You don't have to do anything. You know, and I remember talking to the career counselor, and he said, you know, sometimes people make a wholesale change like I ended up doing. He goes, sometimes it's it's minor. He goes, you know, I was working with a guy who was a CEO of Fortune 500 company. He was miserable. And after a lot of work, it just, the only change was that he became, or not CEO, he was CFO, financial officer. The only change was he went to work for a nonprofit. So now the place that he works is trying to do good, and that makes, that, that changed everything about what he does, and therefore changed everything about how he feels about his work and how he feels about those 40 hours a week. You know, so looking to make a change can make a difference in our lives. And if that gives us the ability to then spend more time with our family, I think it's important. And I know it's important. You know, if it gives us the ability to work less or have our head at work less, then that's important. I think people discount the preciousness, if that's a word, of time. The, yeah. the valuable, like, Every second that takes by, this is so cliche, you never get it back. You can never step in that same river twice. And my twins today that are three, first day of preschool, 
Mm-hmm. My wife was just pooping them out in the operating table <laughs> three years ago. And now they're going to school. Right. And you see it. You're, you have two older boys and your daughter, I think, is 10. Yeah. It goes so fast. Mm-hmm. And it's so true that the days are long, but the years are fast. That's right. And so many people are toiling in jobs they hate. But from their perspective, from a dentist's perspective, I'm going to shitload of debt. Mm-hmm. So, like, my only option then is to reduce living expenses. Right. And it's somewhat embarrassing, let's say, to be a dentist of 10, 15 years and drive a used car. It shouldn't be. But it'd be embarrassing to do that, to go back. Go back to public school. Go back to a small house. Right. But that will give you more time with your family. But so you say it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to who? No. For me now. But like, no, I'm, I'm yeah. saying let's, let's play this let's, out, though. So if we play this out. So when you say it's embarrassing, who is it embarrassing to? So, is it embarrassing to the dentist who's driving the used car? And why? Because why does that dentist care what car he drives? So, because again, that line of thinking is outward focused. That dentist is embarrassed because somewhere in his head, he he, he has the idea that, well, I have to be driving a nice car. And my children have to be at a good school. And a lot of times that thought process isn't coming from within. It's coming from external pressures, right? Mm -hmm. The assumption is that you're a dentist and you drive a nice car. But why? I mean, that's what we have to ask ourselves. What's the motivation? Do I want the nice car because I like to be pampered when I drive? Or do do I want the nice car because others think I should be driving it? It's definitely the second one. Yeah. So, who gives a shit what anybody else thinks? Your two-year-old isn't saying, Daddy, where's your Mercedes? I know. Right? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, why the drive for that? I mean, why is that something we chase? If I think about old Vince, I think it's more not to impress others, but I had a big thing with... If I saw somebody with a much nicer car, I wasn't embarrassed about myself or jealous because the car was nicer. I was jealous. I thought they had a skill set I didn't have Mm. to get that car. So, okay, this guy has a Ferrari. He must be smarter than me. I'm an idiot. If I get that Ferrari, my IQ will definitely double. So I can't speak for my audience, but it has has to be some deep insecurity. But the, the fallacy or the scam there is... You're actually smarter if you spend more time. Because when you're dead, it's over. Yeah. I mean, he could get mar- you know, buried in Lamborghini, I guess. So save some on coffin. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you never know the price somebody is paying for what they have, which I just kind of learned recently. Right. You see these people. I'm in my mid-30s. I see people with great cars, huge houses, but they're already divorced. Right. So that's the price they paid to get it. Right. It wasn't worth it. Right. Like you say, you can't get the time back. So if you're hustling that much harder just to buy a bigger house and a nicer car and put your kids in a better school, long term, what's the win of the better car and a nicer house? I mean, if the long term win is that you have nice things, but then you don't have the 
time you don't have the connections that are important is it really a win and you don't actually have the nice things because you're you're saying the nice things in the wrong way the house isn't the nice things right your kids are the nice things but answer this question so an argument would be well kevin i'm hustling and working so much now to buy my freedom down the road do you hear that from clients because oh, yeah. I had that internal struggle still. Where I'm thinking, like, well, if I, if I really hustle now, and let's say I buy 10 rental houses, then I'll get the passive income. Then I'll have freedom for my kids. Right. So I remember this uh, commercial, probably late 80s, early 90s, you know, during the war, you know, the beginning of the war on drugs. I always made a big impact. It was an overhead camera shot of a guy in a bathroom stall. And he's standing there with a shirt and tie on. And he was walking in a circle. And he was saying, I do coke so I can work harder, so I can make more money, so I can do more coke, so I can work harder. <laughs> right? Like, it, 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 it's got to be 20-year-old, 30-year-old commercial, but it stuck with me because it's that circular reasoning, right? And what you're talking about is that same kind of reasoning. I'm going to hustle now so I can relax later. But if you hustle now, and don't have any of those connections and destroy those relationships, can you repair them in 20 years? And even if you can, because you can, nothing's impossible, is it gonna be worth it? Because, man, I'd put a lot of money on the fact that 20 years, you repair that relationship and you're almost paralyzed by the regret of, I still lost 20 years. I still lost 20 years with my wife, or my daughter, or my son. I still lost 20 years with my friends. And remember, there's no guarantee of those extra 20 years. I mean, I don't know the numbers on it, but you know, anecdotally, we've all heard those stories of people who have busted their ass their whole lives and retire and die within a year of retirement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what was it all for? I mean, we're not guaranteed, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. All we're guaranteed is right now. So how much of the hustling for the later is really worth it? Because again, just like talking about, you know, you want to, your goal was to die and have 20 million for your kids. And I promise you, if you die tomorrow and that 20 million is there, the kids would give it all back for just another day, right? So. We're sacrificing the now for the later, and the later isn't promised to us. So what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And I'm not saying we should be, you know, hippies living in a commune or, you know, destitute and poor on the streets, but spending it with, our, you know, but having our kids next to us on the streets. But there's got to be a balance. There's got to be some give and take. There can't all be about the chase of more things for the future. It's got to be a, sub, a, a level of the present there. So do you think it's materialism that's caused... What do you think in society is throwing men off balance and going all towards the chase? Well, I think... <clears throat> I think there's external expectations, and I think there's internal expectations, right? And like, you know, we talked about it with you personally and your personality, and that you were always felt hungry. You 
know, you loved school. You loved the chase. You loved the, the competition of being the best. And that drove you a lot. You know, and that can drive us in the rest of our lives. That, that come, you know, I want to be the, not just the best dentist, but I want to work for the best practice. I want to have the biggest practice. So I got my own practice. Now I want to expand my practice. I want everyone to know my name. I want to have 20 different offices that drive, 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 better, better, better. Well, I think part of it is changing that focus. I mean, what if, what if I want to be really good at my job, but I want to be really good at my job so I have the time to be the best dad ever, or I have the best time to be the best husband ever? Like, why can't that be our driver? Why can't that be what motivates us? You know, if we can, if we can change just slightly that trajectory, right? I think it can make a huge difference. And changing that path ever so slightly means a year, five years, ten years down the road, we're in a totally different spot, right? You know, because it doesn't. It's not like. It's not like we're sitting here talking about, you know what, you should sell everything you got. You should abandon your practice. You should downsize to the point of being just you. You know, do the cleanings yourself. Make the appointments yourself. You know, just do it out of a shed in your backyard, right? We're not saying that. But if you can change your direction and start to change your focus to not sometime off in the future, but change your focus to the now and how can you spend more time in the present with the people that are important to you now. I mean, that kind of change now will make a big difference down the road, right? It makes a big difference within a year. <laughs> it doesn't take long, does it? Yeah. I I remember, I, I'm pretty sure I told you this, they gave you the uh, analogy because I love saying this. I don't know why. If you decide tomorrow you wanted to walk to the UP, you could easily do it in a year. All you have to do is walk generally north, not even due north, but generally north for one mile every day. That's all you got to do. Most all of us can walk a mile in a single day. If you do that every day, you'll be the bridge in a year. right? So the problem is that what we do is we get 50 miles away from home, 100 miles away from home. We get tired, we get fed up, we get hungry, we're cold. And we call Uber and we head home. I contend that on this journey, if you just, when you're, when you're tired and when you're fed up, when you're cold, just set up camp where you're at. Relax for a week, a couple days. You know, rest, recharge, and then start walking one mile every day. You'll still be to the UP in under a year. But all of the change that we have in life is like that. We don't have to make big wholesale changes. We make small changes. And small changes over a long time can make a huge difference. I mean, your statement that a year your life looked completely different. I mean, that's huge. We think of it as such hard work, but, dude, it was only a year. I mean, in the big picture, a year ain't that much. But a year to get things back on track a year is to get things you know to get your relationships better to get your marriage better to get your connection with your kids better that's huge 
And when you can look back at a year ago and realize, holy crap, things are a lot different. Holy crap, I'm in a way better place than I was a year ago. That's amazing. What does that look like from an actual therapy standpoint in terms of like stopping and setting up camp? Because when I look back at the transformation we made together, for I don't know how, because when we talk about it, it sounds like we're talking about a different person. And not, it, it really does. Honestly, honestly, we are, right? Yeah. And for me, I, I always kept thinking, like, if I'm going to die with any regrets, the only regret I couldn't die with was being a bad father or husband. Right. And, like, when I was 50 miles to the UP, we'll say, I would repeat that. Like, this is where people quit. But the reason you're not going to quit, because this is the only regret you can't die with. Mm -hmm. How else are your clients setting up camp instead of retreating and going back to their old ways? Well, you set up camp by knowing what, knowing what drives you. I think that's a great example. You know, having that, having the tenacity and that tenacity coming from this is my goal. I don't want to be this. Or I want to be that. So when things are hard, when things are difficult, you set up camp, you relax, you try to rest. You can do things like, you know, looking back at the 50 miles you've traveled. Like, holy crap, you know, give yourself some credit for that. Because again, those changes can feel so small that you don't notice on a day-to-day basis. But when you take just a minute to take inventory, well, I'm, I'm really far from home. I'm already in Flint. I've actually made some good progress. You know, but you don't always see that on the, on the day-to-day, right? It's like, it's like weight loss. You know, if you just lose, you know, you change your diet, you change your exercise, and you just lose a couple of ounces every day. You don't notice that. You don't notice that stepping on a scale. You don't notice that looking in a mirror. But in a year, makes a difference. You know, in a year, and, and for us, when we look at ourselves, we might not always see the change. And then we'll see a friend that we haven't seen in a few months. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, you've lost some weight. But you don't see it because you see the same thing every day, right? Mm-hmm. So those changes are so small. So intend that you can take an opportunity to take the inventory and look back and see, all right, well, three months ago I was here. Yeah, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I, I can see the difference. I can see the journey I have made. I do see that, you know, the other night was, you know, when we were tucking kids in, my son said, well, I want dad to read me a story. And he hasn't done that in six months. Holy crap, that's a, that's a change, right? So you look for things like that that are a sign that things are going better. You know, you look at how are my relationships changing? How, how am I getting along with the people in my life that are important to me? You know, and those are all signs of the change. And sometimes I tell people, ask. You know, because 
much like looking in the mirror when we're losing weight, we won't see it because we see the same person every day. But ask. I mean, I'm sure you had conversations with your wife along the way. You know, check in. How have things been? She sees the difference. I mean, I remember you talking about her seeing the difference just in you being able to tell her everything that was going on. You being able to tell her that, you know, you and I were working together. She saw the weight starting to lift. And I remember that was huge for you. You know, so those are those are ways that we can check in and see that we are making a journey and that gives us the rest and the strength we need to keep moving forward. Right? But what you're saying proves your point even more about communication and connectedness and because if you don't have a community or a spouse, you can't check in with anyone. Right. So it's almost like the foundation to not chew on the end of a gun, as you say, or shoot yourself in the head at 65 is baseline, social, community. Yeah. And then the second part you said, which is very interesting, we talked about this previously, is gratitude. Yeah. Like, be grateful for the 50 miles you already traveled. Because I'm so good at not doing that. (laughs) When I look, like, let's say I made $200,000, and then the next year I made $300,000, you're already like, well, $300,000 sucks. <laughs> you, right. you, you totally forgot you were making right. less the year before. Or like, let's say I want to lose 20 pounds and I'm, I get down to 170. I'm like, oh, I'm fat at 170. Right. I should be 160. Right. I'm Maybe other people are too. I'm so good at seeing where I am now and forgetting where I was a year or two years ago. Well, we get really good at it. And it's just, it's practice. I mean, if we practice every day, you know, looking for the worst. And maybe we've got a built in our head that this is how we're going to drive ourselves. This is how we're going to motivate ourselves. I can get better here. I can better here, better here. And that's going to be my motivator. Well, when you do that long enough, then that's all you can see is the negative, right? You know, you did this. I, we, I remember doing this with you, like, take a break. Let's, in conversation, think of things that you're grateful for. Write them down. Make a list, a gratitude list. And then use that list every day. I think I told you to you know, write it on a piece of paper and put it on the, the mirror in your bathroom. Put it on your steering wheel in your car. Read it out loud to yourself every day. Remind yourself of why you're grateful. Because if we take the time to think about it, of course we can come up with things I'm grateful for. That I have a car to drive to work in. That I've got a house over my head. That I've got you know, great kids. I've got a wonderful wife. I'm grateful for those things. Sometimes we need to be in the practice of reminding ourselves of that because we get so tied up in looking at the negative that the negative becomes all we can see. So we have to practice reminding ourselves of why we're grateful, what what is going on in our life that's good. And we've all got something. Man, when you're when you're down that path and when you you know sink into that dark hole, stuff becomes really hard to see because you just haven't practiced looking for it. You know, it's back to the dandelion analogy. It's a weed. It's a weed. I hate it. It's a weed. I must kill it. Until your two year old says, "Daddy, look, I picked your flowers." <laughs> I mean, holy crap! That's that's a change of perspective. That's seeing the good in something rather than looking for the bad and everything. 
you know, and again, sometimes we get into that practice because we think that motivates us. And maybe for some of us, some of us it does. But staying there for too long makes it too easy to always find the bad. Yeah, 200 grand to 300 grand. It's a huge change, 50% increase. And yet, well, it's still not enough. It's still not 400. Yeah, what am right, I doing? Right. I could, I could have a better car. I could employ more people. Oh, I should open another office. That'll do it. That'll, that'll, that'll get me where I want to go, right? We use goals, and goals can be really powerful, and goals are really good. But if we use goals and tie our happiness to it, then we're automatically doing it wrong. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy if. I'll be happy when I get there. Just saying that automatically excludes you being happy now. You know, and you and I used to talk about this all the time. I talk about this. So the language we use with ourselves, I mean, even if, you know, it's just our voice in our head, the language we use with ourselves is really important. Words matter. I'll be happy when I have this automatically says I'm not happy now. Because there's my happiness out there. That's what I'm shooting for. Bigger office, more money, another practice, a bigger car, a better house on a lake this time. Going to need at least two boats. Then I'll be happy. But it means that I can't be really happy now. And why can't we be happy now? Why are we always chasing and the scam of that is when you get the two boats, they're not happy. No, no. They're like, not, oh, it must have been three boats. Yeah, I, mis- I miscalculated. Right, right. Oh, I only bought, you know, a, a $40,000 pontoon. <laughs> now I need a $100,000 pontoon with a built-in bar and a shower. That's what I was missing. Yeah, and it needs to have mahogany and teak everywhere. Yeah. Then I'll be happy. And then you get that. It doesn't work that way, man. But we don't know that. And I used to have a phd and i'll be happy when i'll be i did i'll be happy yeah my wife would always say my wife would always so my father-in-law is very financially successful mm-hmm. my wife would always say you sound just like my, and my father-in-law is a good man you sound just like my dad growing up mm-hmm. when we get this then we'll be happy when we get this then we'll be happy and she's like like what you said why can't you be happy now is something physically happening to us right now? Is our house on fire? It's not. So be happy. Right. And I was like, my mind is like, oh, you're so weak. Like, only a woman would think that. How can you think that? I have to get out there and achieve. And then I was the most miserable <laughs> when I was out there yeah. grinding, right. achieving, all this bullshit. Right. Yep. And, and remember, this is kind of in the in the context of kind of your audience, right? I mean, there are certain demographics that, I mean, money would make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So we we do have a little privilege in saying that uh, money can't buy happiness, but for for your audience, it's it's the case. Money can't buy you happiness. It will it will never. And the chase of that is what makes you miserable. Putting your Putting your happiness now on hold for that future happiness that something will bring to you later. 
It's just, I don't, I don't, man, I don't think it works that way. I don't think it should work that way. And sometimes, right, because a lot of my audience actually like, reach out to me, mm-hmm. which that's the most fun about this whole thing. And it's not even the money. It's just the pure achievement. Mm-hmm. They're like, they would ask me questions like, when are you ready for your second office? And I'm like, that actually now makes me want to vomit. <laughs> and they're like, I can't wait till I get this, this. And, and the biggest thing in dentistry is going fee for service. Mm-hmm. I know you're a fee for service yeah. therapist. And then I'm fee for service. But I just fell into it because the practice was already. And they're always thinking, if I become fee for service, I'll be happier and I'll like my patients more. I was like, they're the same people. Right. You're not going to be happier. Right. But we're so trained to think the next thing makes us happy. Right. How do we become happy now? And so why do you think that is? And why do you think in your profession, you know, making generalities or stereotypes, why do you think that is? A lot of things. The first part is we're bred from day one, from kindergarten mm. through college. <clears throat> and in dental school, they rank you. So basically, if you're ranked at the top, you can become a specialist. And then if you're an orthodontist, you make 500. If you're an oral surgeon, you make a million. So mm-hmm. there's always one more thing to get to. Right. And then my, my job is procedure-based. Mm-hmm. So if I do 10 crowns a day, I make whatever, 10,000. If I do 20 crowns, I make 20,000. Mm-hmm. I can physically make more money by working harder. Right. And by getting the more money, I can get more prestige. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of it is, and this is where my generation maybe differs from your generation is, do you know who Andrew Tate is? Yeah. Okay. He's like all over Instagram. Sure. And if you're on social media, he's going to pop up. Right. And you're not a high value man unless you're working 18 hours a day. You slap your wife a couple times. Yeah. He's a complete douchebag. Yeah. But I, I think he's a character, but that's another story. But that's the message we're fed to. Right. That you got to be out there grinding to get the status. Then you're like, my gender, my audience, some of them are married. I shouldn't be worried about trying to get a, a woman. I have five. I have four daughters. In a right. Like, I right. don't need to be a high, I am a high value man, but for other reasons. Right. But we're bred to think we have to work hard. We have to achieve. We have to be high value. And then the people will love us. But kind of going back to what we started with, they already love us. Right. So. Do you think that's all driven then by society, by the by the message you're hearing? It's the message we're hearing. It's the insecurity that's bred in us from TV, social media. It's the massive debt that we're in. So not right. all our achievement is prestige-based. Some of it is survival. Sure. Because if your debt payment is 6000 a month, yeah. that's a lot. Right. And it's also, this is the first time in history that you see other dentists who aren't in your area online and now you're constantly comparing yourself to some dude in san diego right who's killing it or you think he is but you only see his instagram or tiktok right and never in history of humans has that happened before so we're we're evolved to be in groups of 150. Mm-hmm. now we're in groups of 150 million so everyone seems like they're better than us right and that makes us feel bad yep because the the people who aren't out there killing it don't get on Instagram and talk about it, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and when all our focus is again outward in comparing ourselves to others, 
And like you said earlier, you don't know their lives. I mean, sure, he lives in San Diego and he's on Instagram and he's got, you know, telling you about how awesome his his world is. But is it? You don't know what's in his head when he lays down at night. You don't know what he sees when he looks in the mirror. Mm-hmm. We always chase. I mean, we're chasing ghosts. You know, people don't put their real lives on Instagram. People put stuff on Instagram that's going to get likes and follows and little hearts. But what's that chase for? Because there's no real connection there. You know, going back to we need social connection as human beings. Well, there is no real connection connection there because there's no feedback loop, right? But we are tricking our brains, or you could say, you know, technology is tricking us <clears throat> into thinking that, ooh, I'm connected to this person. Ooh, look how many followers I have. Mm-hmm. I have 100,000 followers. <laughs> it's amazing. Right? It, but it's not because those followers are nothing. Hell, those followers are half more probably bots, right? Yeah, exactly. So, That's so true. <laughs> what's it get you? It gets you nothing. Your followers should be the people that you see every day, the people that live in your house, people that you eat with. Those are the only followers that matter. Why are we out there chasing all that when we can chase it in our backyard? You know? I think it's you get a shot of dopamine when 30 people comment. Vince, cool podcast setup. Oh yeah, and you don't you don't get the same shot of dopamine when you're sitting with your wife. It's different. You get mm-hmm. oxytocin. Yeah, and you. I'd rather do cocaine than get a hug. Right, right. Not you really know. audience, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. And we 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 run experiments all the time on on animals, and you know they they've. <laughs> it always not amuses me. It's really kind of sad, but like you know they can stimulate the brain of a of a mouse or a rat to fire off a little electric charge in you know the sexual center of the animal and teach it that if it pushes this button it'll fire off that charge and that rat has always been also been trained that if it hits this button it'll get food those little shits will hit that sex button until they literally die of starvation because they'd rather have that instead of getting the food well, I mean, that's what Instagram's doing to us, man. We're cramming that button and and losing out on what really is feeding us. That's so, I mean, that's like the perfect phrase. What is really feeding us? Because mm-hmm. pe- even with like real food, people forget like a granola bar is not real food and <laughs> apple is. But like Instagram's not real life. No. It's not feeding your soul. No. And I think that ties back to religion and god and i brought up on this podcast before that i believe in god Mm -hmm. do you think i don't know how to word this somebody needs to believe in god or believe in something to have an internal sense of self because we talked a lot about if you look external you're fucked Mm -hmm. if you look internal but god's not there are you still fucked I mean that's a that's a great question. I I mean I also have a strong faith. 
I have a strong belief in God. Um, I don't, I can't say yes or no that you have to have this to be doing it right. It certainly works for me. Um, and do I believe it would help everyone? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I do. <clears throat> but I also don't believe that it's really the only way. But I think that having purpose is really, really important. That purpose, you know, should be to make connections with people. You know, we, we, we think about, you know, what's going to happen after, after we die. And, you know, for, for Christians, it's, it's heaven. Um, and I, and I believe that. At the same time, I love the movie, um, the, I think it's a Pixar movie, Coco. Yes. But the little boy who plays guitar. Love it. But that talks a lot about, you know, that movie is centered around um, Hispanic Mexican, primarily culture. And I love that view of you never truly die until your name is no longer spoken, right? I mean, that's really cool because what that does is that drives us towards making an impact on the people around us, right? So the more people around us, close proximity that we can reach out to and touch, the more people, the more we improve those people's lives by giving them, by pouring ourselves into them, the more immortal we make ourselves, right? You know, and it shouldn't be about more immortality, but it's the, the idea of leaving a lasting impression on people. You know, I tell people, I, I have clients, I assign, give clients the assignment of try to pay one person a compliment every day. Someone you know, someone you live with, random strangers. Hey, I like that shirt. That's a great shirt. Also, those are awesome shoes. That process, one, it brightens someone else's day, right? The really, really cool side effect in our brain is that it makes us feel better. And it makes us feel better because we've made someone else feel better. And that feels good to us. It makes us feel better because we have social uh, a social connection, right? And that makes us feel better. And sometimes it's funny that... You know, people will actually feel guilty about it. Like, well, but I'm only doing it for myself. I mean, yeah, but that's not your motivation. If your motivation is to brighten the days of people around you, to make people around you make their day better, and if that has the side effect of making yours better, that's okay. You know, it's 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 looking to improve our position in life, and if we can prove our position in life by making everything around us brighter, that's awesome, right? I want things to be better, so I plant more flowers. So when I get home, I see all the flowers that I planted. 
You know, I want I want a better life because I want the people around me to be happier. And I'm not going to do that by giving them things. I'm going to do that by giving them my time. By spending time and pouring into them and sitting on the floor and playing a game with my kids, throwing a ball around or spending time with my wife, really listening to the people in my world. You know, that idea of social connection, it comes through you know, back to conversation and communication. You know, we get so used to saying, hey, how's it going? Good, man, how you doing? Right? We don't even think about it. You know, but taking the time to sit down and ask someone how their day is and caring about what the answer is. It's a connection. But asking them questions about when they're talking. So I heard you say that your day went like this. And how'd that make you feel? Yeah, I can totally see why that would make you feel sad or happy or frustrated or whatever. Now you're reflecting back. You're doing you know, a trick called active listening. And now the person sitting across from you is like, holy crap, they get me, they hear me, they understand. And now I feel connected. And feeling connected and seen, again, social creatures, we're social beings, feels really, really good. And when we do that for someone else, it vastly improves their day. I think that's essential for living, feeling connected. The first piece of advice you gave me, we talked about this in the beginning, get two or three buddies that are in the same position as you that will feel and hear what you're saying, and you can feel and hear what they're saying. And I've done that. Mm -hmm. And that was like the second most important thing I ever talked to my wife. And like you just said, if you can feel heard and seen, even if you do it for selfish reasons, because on the flip side, a side effect will be the person you're talking to feels heard and seen. Yeah. And there's no, maybe other than sex, there's no better feeling than connecting with a group of people. Absolutely. Who he, like, do you know who Oliver Anthony is? He, the song just blew up. Yeah. People that listen to that song, the reason why he blew up because they feel heard and seen. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that on a one-on-one -on -one level, oh, yeah. everybody's life gets better. Yeah. You know, the other benefit to what you were talking about is, you know, reaching out to some friends, you know, especially people that are dentists, right? That are, that are on the same path as you. And it's not about sharing your misery. And it's not about, hearing from other people who maybe have it worse than you. It's just about not feeling alone. Again, that isolation, man, the depression, the anxiety, it isolates us. And it pulls us into this small little hole, and we feel like we are the only person in the hole. And there's, <laughs> there's something so strengthening by realizing, you know what? I mean, my problem isn't your problem. And to know you have problems doesn't make me feel better about my problems, but it just makes me feel like I'm not the only one, right? And we all know that what happens at Alcoholics Anonymous, you stand up and say, hi, I'm Kevin, I'm an alcoholic. And they all say, hi, Kevin. And they all, everyone around the table does that. So you don't feel alone because we get in these dark spots. And man, if you're in a hole, you can't see anything around you. As far as you know, you're the only one in that hole. But just stumbling and finding someone else down there, 
helps because now you're not alone. You know, that's what they call, you know, that's how they define empathy. You know, sympathy, this, and I'm stealing this directly from Brene Brown. Sympathy is standing at the top of the hole and looking down at your friend and saying, boy, it sucks down there. Looks cold and wet. Sorry that you're down there. It sucks. Empathy is climbing down the hole with them. Because now you feel what they feel. And they don't feel as alone when you do that. Right, so that's how we connect with people. We, we, we hear what they're saying, and we actually feel it. Now, it, you know, and it's not like if you break your arm, I have to break my arm to know how you feel. No, but I can certainly empathize with that feeling. I can understand from your words what the pain is like, and that makes you feel not as alone. Rather just standing on the sidelines, yeah, it looks like you broke your arm, that sucks. Rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. <laughs> exactly. Right? So that's connection. You know, and people say, you know, you've brought up and like, how do you do that? You do that just small steps, just listening. Just trying your best to connect with people. Not listening to the shame in your head. Not listening to the bully that lives up there that's telling you you're a piece of shit and you have to work harder. You know, you tune that bully out. You say that bully out loud. You and I talked about this and, you know, the anxiety that you feel in your head that says you're not enough. Start saying it out loud. Start sharing it with your wife. You know, the best example, I had a client once that was dealing with some serious anxiety. One day he... Got up and, you know, took a shower, got dressed, got ready for work like any other day. Came downstairs and just in passing, his wife says, oh, you look nice today. Just an offhanded compliment. His brain instantly said, she only told you you look nice today because you've looked like shit for the past month. And he spun on that for weeks. Right? So what we did is we worked on let's... Get that voice out of your head, right? Because that voice out of your head is a bully. And what do we know about bullies? Well, real life bullies. If we, we, we know that if we, to start to break that cycle, we have to show that we're not afraid of them. So he and I worked on, like, let's start saying this stuff out loud. Let's bring your wife in on this. You know, and I want you to preface that conversation with her by telling her what you're going to do. And then I want you to share what the bully's saying. And you preface it because he didn't in any way want his wife to stop complimenting him. That's not the goal. She'd done nothing wrong. He just wants to share, hey, when you said that, I appreciate it. But this is what the bully in my head did with those words. I don't want you to change what you've done. Because what you've done is nice. But the bully in my head is turning is, is talking shit. But just by doing that, he found that you took the volume from 10 and said to turn it down, right? Because now you're showing the bully that he's not afraid. In fact, he said they would, they would get to the point where they could laugh. You know, something would happen and she was around. And, you know, he'd say something along the lines of, you, you, you'll never believe what the bully in my head is saying. And they'd laugh at it because these statements are so ridiculous. She said that you look nice only because you've looked like shit for the past month. It's a ridiculous statement. 
but you start to say those things out loud and now you can hear how ridiculous they are. You start to share them with other people. And of course his wife was like, no, that's not at all what I'm at. You looked really nice. I like those pants on you, right? But when we stay in our own head, man, that voice is loud. Because that's the only voice we, we can hear. When you, and again, it's the isolation. When you brought that up to me, when we first started working together, you said, get it out either in your language, get it out in writing. Because when you get it out and you look at it, you're looking at it with a different part of your brain. Yeah. I mean, just so, you know, we have all these different portions of our brain that are in charge of motor functions that are part of, you know, visual, audio cortex, all that. So taking the words out of your head and writing them down on paper, you need a different area of your brain to do that. And then you see those words, and that comes in is processed by a different area of your brain. So I push you to read those words all out because now there's a whole nother set of your brain that has to process that language. And then here's your voice coming back in through your audio. So all of that makes the brain work harder to process all that stuff. Now you share it with someone else. Now you're doing a whole other area of the of the brain. There, there's social aspects there. So all of that, rather than just letting that shit rumble around in your head, makes a difference. Makes it easier to start processing and deal with it. You know, these thoughts that we have that can feel so destructive, we write them down on paper, and we read them, and we're like, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. Because we can see it for what it is. You know, again, it's that, that voice, that that bully, that monster that lives in our head that all it does is talk shit about us sometimes. I remember when I started writing some of the thoughts down, you're almost like, those were in there? Because it's, it's, it's totally different. When it's in your brain, it makes sense. Yeah. That's you, you would read them to me and you're, you'd laugh. Like, I can't believe I'm reading this out loud to you. Yeah. I want to share it with you because that was part of your process. Yeah. But... Even in that time, like from the time you wrote it down to the time we sat down and talked about it, you're like, this is, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to read it out loud because I wrote it down because this was up here. And it's, you can see it in black and white and see how ridiculous it is. And when I see people now, and maybe you see this too, that can't take compliments, I'm like, oh my God, they're suffering. I used to think, let's say a patient goes, oh, you're the best dentist I've ever had. I used to think like, oh shit, I must be the only dentist. Uh, someone's like you think lowly or poorly about the people who are complimenting you because like they must be so stupid to think i'm a good person yep another another twist on that i've i've heard or i've seen is that um if you're complimenting me i turn that into holy shit i've got you fooled i'm such an awful person I've even got you fooled to thinking I'm good. That means I've done it through deception and lies and whatever that you think I'm nice because I know I'm a piece of shit. So now I'm lying to you. Now I feel even worse about myself because you paid me a compliment because, man, what did I do to trick you? I care about you, and now you're telling me I'm good? I'm not good. Now I've lied to you to make you think I'm good. What a sick thought. What a Seriously, sick right? thought. Because we're both in a profession where 
we help people. Yeah. Not that if you work for GM, you're not helping people, sure. but we're directly helping people. Right. And we're the most common group of people to get positive feedback face-to-face and not believe it. Yeah. Isn't a, it crazy? That's another scam. I don't know why we're wired that way. Right? It's because we're listening to the bully in our head too much. Yeah. And I'm sure this bully was useful a million years ago to keep us protected. Yeah. But maybe. Not now. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, it's looking at stuff like that. That's it's funny because looking at stuff, you know, how we got here is always interesting. I mean, we've talked about, you know, fight or flight and how that developed and what that does to us, right? You know, but the little things like change, change is bad. So, all right, you're a nomadic people and you're moving from area to area and moving to new areas and following, you know, the weather patterns of the animals or whatever. So you and your buddy are walking along in the place that you've been at for the last 10 generations, you know really well, and you know that the red berries are really, really yummy. Well, as you're traveling, you know, you get a couple hundred miles away from where you've been, you see some red berries, and your buddy eats one of the red berries and drops dead. <laughs> Holy crap, well, red berries must be bad. Now I can't eat any red berries. You know, but that's the simple way our brains work, right? That's like the, the monkey, the reptile part of our brain. Like, oh, that's all bad, and therefore all change is bad. So change is scary. That's why I don't want change. That's why I'm afraid of change. But change is good. Change can be dangerous change can be scary but man for the most part change is good right because if we're not changing the father-in-law always likes to say if you're not growing you're dying it's the truth it's what we're put here on earth for it should be constant improvement we should constantly be striving to get better now that getting better isn't Getting a bigger house, getting a bigger car, getting more people in your practice, getting more practices, right? That getting better. If we've, if we've gotten anything across, that getting better is getting better connections. But we should always be trying to get better. There's a, there's a cartoon that I saw recently that cracks me up. It's just two people, one panel. And one person is looking at the other person, and they say, wow, you've changed. And they're saying it like in a derogatory way, like you're not the person I used to know. Like, in a bad way. And the response is just one line. Well, aren't we supposed to? <laughs> so, like, we can get stuck in looking at that change as a bad thing. You know, you and I were best friends in high school, but you've changed. I don't like how you've changed. Because I don't like change. But we're supposed to. We're supposed to be growing. If we ever get to a point in our life where we think... Ah, I've got it all figured out. I can just coast now. Man, then we're doing it wrong, aren't we? 100%. The last time I had that, I thought I was 18. And I told my dad, this is like the dumbest, I've said a lot of dumb things, but one of the dumbest things I've ever said was, Dad, I think now I pretty much have most, if not everything, like I'm not going to learn anymore. <laughs> my dad looked at me and was like, you couldn't be any closer to zero than you are right now. Oh, that's amazing. It's so true. It's like yeah. the older you get, the realize you less you know if you're changing, though. Yeah. If you're not changing, then you're 42 talking about high school football still. Yeah, right. 
Right, you're Al Bundy talking about <laughs> the, the five touchdown passes, right? Oh my, I, I have someone in my life, I won't say their name. It's still, he is still talking about high school football. Yeah. I'm getting close to 40. Yeah. Stop fucking talking about high school football. <laughs> right. That, I can't believe it. Right. But that's like, so many people get trapped into that, maybe because they feel secure or that was the last time they felt alive or happy. I'm mm. not sure. Yeah. Well, that was the time that they were carried off the football field, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, they peaked in high school. Yeah. It's always a joke. Right. You, you peaked 20 years right. ago. Right. But they were carried off that football field because they won something and they got positive feedback, so they held on to that rather than continuing to look for positive feedback, continuing to look for striving for attention and connection and all those things, right? That just happened to them. So they stayed there rather than continuing to look for that in their lives and not realizing that really all of that was just symbolic of connection. They felt connected to. They felt yeah, seen. Yeah, the dude. team. Yeah. The team. They felt seen. Right? Yeah, that's got that. I just had like a, almost like a, oh my gosh, that's exactly what that person's feeling. Right. That's the last time they felt like you're worth something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, worth exactly. Wow, I always thought like if you're 40 and you're still talking about high school football, it's the equivalent of like wearing a toupee. Like everybody sees it, something's not right. Everybody's it, but you, or, or you the comb over. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't see it, right? Yeah. Well, Kevin, we're coming up. Oh, we're way past the hour. Um, I always end the podcast a couple of ways. Yeah. What is if you can? I already know the answer. What is one takeaway you'd want my audience to have from this hour and a half interview well what's what's your takeaway you say you already always already know the answer i love doing this you know i get this from clients a lot bring up something and they i already i can already hear your voice saying something. Yeah. so what what do you think my takeaway is i think your takeaway is the more money you make the happier you'll be no joke <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't listening um <laughs> Because only because I've lived this through your guidance. You were the shepherd. I was the sheep. You were the mentor. I was being guided. The true path to happiness, to joy, to fulfillment, to meaning is in the people around you. The only thing that has intrinsic value in your life is the people. And if you can foster and develop relationships with your loved ones, that will give you what you think you need right now. If you think you need more money, more cars, you've been fooled. What you actually need is more connectedness and love from your family, from your kids. Yeah. It's, it's all about connection. It's all about communication. It's all about seeing others and being seen yourself, right? I think that is, man, we could solve a lot of the world's problems if we just saw others and felt seen ourselves, right? Because it's not just being seen ourselves because that's, well, that's being kind of selfish, right? Ooh, look at me, look at me, look at me. And not taking time to see others and see their worth and see their, their needs and see their emotions, right? It's got to go both ways. 
So yeah, that, that a hundred percent, that where it's hardwired into hardwired into us. It's a part of who we are as human beings. And the more we can do that, the better off things will be. hundred percent. And I have already told you this before, but I'll tell you again, so my audience can hear it. I reached out to you. One of the lowest, darkest moments of my life. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went in thinking therapy's kind of bullshit, but I have no other option. Right. And Kevin seems like a cool guy. And I think during our first session, I, I probably cried for 59 minutes straight. And then at the last minute, I told you my name. <laughs> but you looked at me and you said, from my perspective, it doesn't look like the hole is as big as you think it is. And I'm like, okay, this guy's an idiot. I'm never coming back to him. <laughs> and you just said, if you can just like suspend belief for a second and just kind of think that maybe there is hope. If you have an ounce of hope, Vince, if you can believe that, we'll get through this. And it's actually much quicker than you think. And I still didn't believe you. <laughs> and then I followed all of your advice. Yeah. And my life made a 180. I don't know where I would be today if I didn't meet you. Right. I don't know if I would be divorced, if I'd be dead, if I would abandon my kid. I don't know where I would be bankrupt. But whatever thing happened to make you become laid off, to become a therapist, to help me, because I know it's not just me you helped. You've helped a lot of people. If it's God or if God doesn't exist, you made the right choice. And you are the embodiment of I have purpose and I'm helping people feel connected. So I really appreciate you, the work you're doing, and you saved my life. Well, I, I appreciate that, really. It, it it does mean the world to me. I mean, you talk, talked about us. You know, We're both professionals. We go, both get paid for what you do. <clears throat> Honestly, the money doesn't mean shit to me. That is everything, right? Because that is, you talk about Coco and, and changing the lives around you, that is that in a nutshell so that i mean that's the greatest payback in the world for me you know and i and i appreciate that you that you, you're able to say that and just to build on that on your journey yeah it sounds crazy i sound like i'm out of my mind and yes i've told other people that from where i sit the problems that you're dealing with are going to be really easy to fix but again, I said I'm not much of a numbers guy, but I remember a statistic that I they talked about in the master's program. He talked about these meta-analysis of looking all the research that's been done in the hundreds of years since the mental health profession started and figuring out what gets better, what makes people better. And all exit interviews and talking to individuals, and they broke it down to some numbers. 35% people attribute their success to the connection between the client and therapist, right? Just the connection. We have to feel connected. I always tell people, if you're going to see seek counseling, be ready to change. Like if you don't feel a connection with the person that you're talking to within the first couple times, go somewhere else and tell them. Because any therapist worth their salt would say, all right, if we don't connect, that's that's totally understandable. I've got lots of people I know in my network. Let me help you find someone. 
my ego is not tied up enough in this that I think I'm the only one who can fix people. I beg clients, just tell me. If you're not connected, tell me. We'll find you somebody else. Connection's important. Another 40% of people surveyed would say that uh, a, a mental technique is important, you know. So this could be so, you know, psychotherapy or existentialism or cognitive behavioral therapy. Just that a technique was used, people, clients can attribute to that to help me get better. 10%, 10% of people just get better. You know, we, we know about it here in Michigan a lot. You know, seasonal affective disorder. I get cranky and shitty by February because there's not enough light and there's not enough warm weather and I'm stuck in a house and I'm, I'm bothered. So 10% spring comes, they just get better. The last 15% is what you and I talked about is hope. People say they got better because they finally had hope that they could. And to me, that's powerful. So to anyone out there that's listening, know that there is hope. Know that you can get better. Know that you don't have to feel like this. And again, from where I'm sitting, man, if we can plant that seed of hope, shit, everything else is easy. Everything else is just walking a mile a day, just making small changes. It all starts with hope, and it all starts with the willingness to change. I mean, I've told you, you were a dream client, dude. You did the work. It wasn't just you and I talk for an hour and then you literally don't think about it again until the next time we meet, which, you know, we've all had clients like that. It's the people who come to you and say, I can't understand, Doc, when my teeth are falling out. Do you brush? <laughs> well, no. Do you floss? Well, no. <laughs> but my teeth keep falling out. It's the damnedest thing. That's genetics. <laughs> Man, someday science will figure out why this happens. <laughs> right? You know, but if, if you're willing to do the work, and that's where you excelled, man. You you went after it. And if you're willing to do the work, I wasn't wrong. From where I sit, your journey was easy. And from where you sit now, I bet looking back on it, yeah, it wasn't that hard. You made small changes. You changed your focus mostly. Yeah, it was a constant game of reframing. Mm -hmm. So I know that, at least I think, you're only licensed in Michigan Correct. I don't know how teletherapy works, but can you, because I've referred people to you. Mm -hmm. I know a couple of people went to you, and I've spoken to those people after, and they're like, that was a godsend. Can you provide an email to my Michigan-based clients, or how does that work? Can anyone who listens to this, can they reach out to you? Yeah, anyone who listens can reach out to me. Um, the licensing of mental health professionals in the United States is kind of jacked up. And my professional board, I'm a licensed professional counselor, an LPC. We do a poor, I mean, but to be frank, we do a poor job of like getting everybody on the same page throughout the country. So yeah, it's fractured. Technically, I cannot counsel anyone outside the state of Michigan. What's really jacked up, and this is just kind of a little rabbit hole on the side. If you live here, and this is your residence, and you spend a month or two in Florida in the winter, technically I can't counsel you while you're in Florida. 
dude, it's dumb. I know it's dumb, but it's dumb. All that being said, um, anyone in the state of Michigan can reach out to me. Um, Change Counseling Services is my, you know, my LLC that's that I work with. Um, but yeah, if you if you Google that, if you Google my name, um, you can find me, Kevin Rem. You can find me that way. Um, you know, and I, as you experienced. I, I do things a little differently because I don't like, even though I've got an office now, I don't like to work in my office. Most guys, I mean, I came to your office, which was convenient for you. A lot of people I meet in a park and we go for a walk. I think it's hugely therapeutic to be, one, out in nature. Two, for a lot of guys, the idea of sitting across the room from a stranger Talking about their deepest, darkest shit is like a no-go. <clears throat> so if I meet somebody out and go for a walk, we're standing shoulder to shoulder. <clears throat> you know, we're standing shoulder to shoulder. We're doing something. Makes it easier for guys to talk. I meet guys that, you know, go to a driving range. We'll hit a bucket of balls. We've even played nine with a client. We'll talk about it while we're golfing. I haven't gone fishing yet with a client, but that's on my list of things. To That'd do. be fun. Just find, you know, find a dock at a park to yeah. throw a worm and a barber off. At first, I was like, is it weird this guy doesn't have an office? And then you would come to my office. I'd be doing a root canal on Kevin. And, no, I'm joking. <laughs> you come to my office, and I'm like, am I a billionaire that has a specialized therapist that comes to me? <laughs> but it was your comfortable spot, so it, was, it made it easier. And honestly, it was amazing. I would play my music in the background, yep. sit in the back office, drink coffee, and it really felt like I was just talking to an older, wiser brother, and I wasn't like sitting on a couch, and I was like, when I was 13, my mom said I was fat or something like that. <laughs> so if you live in Michigan and you're sad, alone, just email Kevin yeah. and see if something works out. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for the podcast. I had so much fun. Yeah, no, I appreciate. It. I mean, I've told you multiple times that I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I always enjoy our conversation. I mean, and it sounds weird because, like, even when you were in a really, really dark place, you're still so open and receptive of the conversation. I think it's great. I think it's amazing, and I love talking to people. I mean, that's why this is such a natural fit for me. I just, I really, really enjoy it, and I really, really enjoy talking to you. So I'm glad that, you know, we've kept in touch. I'm glad that, you know, I can consider you a friend and not just a client. You know, that's that's in the past. You've you've gotten to a good spot, and I appreciate talking about this. Like I told you, man, I, lo I love talking about this stuff. I can geek out and talk about this shit for hours. Yeah. So this is great. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Kevin, we'll get you back on for episode 200. Sweet. All right, talk to you soon. All right, man.